Hello again, party people. Thanks for joining me for episode 28 of Storytime with Boone. On each episode of Storytime, if you're a, a new listener, basically what I do is I tell you three stories from my time in the music industry or from my life in general. I talk about a particular song or a piece of music that I've written at some point and uh, usually a little bit about my family or life in the Boone household. And I also introduce you to an unsigned band or artist at the end of every episode. Thanks to my friends at Distorted Productions as always, for helping me to get this thing together. On this episode, how a passage in the autobiography of Stephen Patrick Morris's book, uh, a.k.a. Moz, a.k.a. Mozza, whatever, he wrote a book, came out a couple of years ago, and one chapter in it brought to mind a mad stunt that me and my uh, bandmates in the Inspirals pulled one night back in the Eddie days of Manchester. And uh, it sounded scurrily similar to a, a story that Moz tells in his book. It might indeed be the same incident don't know yet but i'll tell you about that uh, more chat about branded motor vehicles on the last episode i talked at length about my old friend the boone army mini and in a few minutes time i'll tell you about an absolute monster of a car another branded vehicle uh, which i was given to cruise about in uh, for a while it caused a few raised eyebrows on the school run to say the least and in the week where I inadvertently played a record on one of my radio shows which had a couple of uh, dubious words in it, uh, two shits and a masturbation to be precise, I'll tell you about some of the other occasions where I've cocked up big time on the radio. And I'll be telling you about how I wrote a song called The Biggest Horizon, which was released as a single by the Clint Boone Experience in uh, 1999. The unsigned upcoming track that you're going to hear at the end of the episode is by a Liverpool outfit called Drone, two-piece band Drone. A gorgeous piece of music from those guys at the end of the episode. And don't forget to check out the Spotify playlist that I compiled for every episode of Storytime with Boone, where you can hear the full versions of the tracks that you'll be hearing snippets of. Okay, let's do it. Storytime with Boone. Subscribe now on iTunes. One dark night in the late 1980s, the Inspiral Carpets were making our way back from a gig in Sheffield. Coming across the bleak Pennine Moors on some air road or other. It was a clear night but totally black. If I'm not mistaken, we'd been supporting James at a gig in Sheffield. And as usual, we were giddy, all a bit pissed up and getting up to all sorts of shenanigans in the back of the... Uh, the transit minibus, probably a Salford Van Eyre job, I think. And that part of the world, it can be a pretty scary place late at night, especially not somewhere you'd want to break down, you know what I mean? Lots of legends and ghost stories to do with that, that bleak part of the planet. And we pulled over right on top of one of these hills so that a couple of us could get out for, to have a wee in that. You know what I mean? And I, I noticed by the roadside, every 30 yards or so, there was like a mound of soil, as if some sort of work had been going on. And I came up with this idea and I said to the driver, just drive off down the road, leave us for like five or ten minutes. And he left about two or three of us there and he drove off. My idea was that by standing in a crucifix pose on top of these mounds at such an ungodly hour in this desolate part of the planet, it had really put the shits up whichever unfortunate motorist happened to drive along. Right? So we took our positions. I'm on the first mound. Our drummer Craig, I think, was on the next one and somebody else another in Spiral or a roadie on the next one. And at that time, I had my hair in a long bowlhead style. And usually after a gig, it, it, it turned from this pristine, blown under look to quite shaggy, almost Neolithic man sort of thing, Neanderthal man, all sweaty in that. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I also dressed in white jeans constantly at this time. You know, and I, I used to carry spur white jeans with me. 
And on this occasion, I had a, a short white denim jacket on, no shirt underneath, if I remember rightly. I'd been sweating at the gig. And I'm stood there in the pitch black, right, giggling to myself on this mound up on the Saddleworth Moors, wherever we were, waiting for the first car to come along. And I could see the headlights starting to appear up the road. And I'm stood there like Jesus with my arms out, head to one side, like that, looking a bit gutted, like you do when you've been nailed to a cross, you know what I mean? And the first car to approach, it slowed down to have a look and then immediately accelerated and leathered it in the direction of Manchester. And I could see who I think was Craig on the next mound further down the road, pissing himself, laughing as his car sped past him like that. Two or three more cars went past, all slowing down slightly and then accelerating away, same thing. But then one slowed down and I distinctly remember it pulled up right alongside me and I bent down from me crucifix pose and leaned towards the car with my arm, arm stretched out like, like you know a proper dickhead at which point the car was gone screeched away like beep beep the road runner you know running away from the evil willy coyote off down this road like that and I know what you're thinking and it is it's stupid what an utter and complete dickhead you're thinking that aren't you? and I accept that I take that right on the chin it was a stupid thing to do which is why I've never really talked about it publicly ever since in fact I'd forgotten about it but the reason why I'm finally coming clean on this one the um, the crucifix pose on the moors because a couple of years ago one of Manchester's favourite sons released his autobiography right so his name's Stephen Patrick Morrissey and it's a great book I've never actually had the pleasure of meeting Morrissey properly although in Spiral's guitarist Graham Lambert tells me that the three of us me, Morrissey and Graham once had a chat uh, whilst watching James and at the side of the stage at the Free Trade Hall. I don't actually remember that moment. I was due to interview him once, Morrissey, when I worked for XFM Manchester. He was due to play at the um, the V Festival in Staffordshire on the Saturday. And the night before that, I was invited to the Lowry Hotel in Manchester to interview him. He was doing the gig on the Saturday down in Staffordshire. And I got a call at the last minute saying, right, everything's changed. You're now going to have to interview Morrissey at the uh, V Festival tomorrow, Saturday, it's Staffordshire, Saturday afternoon. And I thought, I'm, I'm sorry, sorry, Stephen, but I, I had to, I couldn't do it because at the time I had a baby boy. I had a gig in Manchester on the Saturday evening. And it was about that time when Morrissey was making a habit of cancelling all his press interviews at a minute's notice. And I thought, I can't, I can't take this risk of being in Staffordshire all afternoon and it not happening. And racing back for this gig and we've got the baby and all that. So I asked somebody else from XFM, um, somebody that had no babies, to step in and do the interview for us. And I'm pretty sure it was Sunter Templeton. So anyway, a couple of years later, Morris is back on tour again and he's doing the, the press and radio stuff. And somebody at XFM asked me if I'd like to interview Morrissey. He's coming to Manchester. I'm like, yeah, fucking too right, of course I do. And then I get a call back. Morrissey doesn't want to talk to Clint because Clint cancelled on him last time. Right? Yeah, fucking, I'm aghast. I'm a bit narked actually about it and it's like I've never met this bloke properly and he's got a downer on me. I've always been a massive fan of his work. Still am, still am. But he brought this book out anyway. So back to Pennine's Morrissey autobiography. It came out on uh, Penguin Modern Classics a couple of years ago. And I've got it here in, in front of me just looking now. So he talks about his trip that him and his mates were taking over the, the moors in the Mercedes. And basically he's saying about how scary it is up that part of the world at that time of night, which it is, I've already covered that. But he says at some point, we see this figure rising up from the black of the earth, uh, a figure standing upright and then throwing his arms towards our lights in a terrifying and unspeakably forlorn plea for our attention. 
and they all shit themselves. One of them says they're going to stop, and then Morrissey says, no, leg it, put your foot down, which they do. But he describes this uh, character, uh, the, the wretched vision of sallow cheeks and matted shoulder length, uh, a boy of roughly 18 years old wearing only humiliatingly short anorak coat that was open to expose the white of his chest and the nakedness of the rest of his body. Uh, the vision chilled our blood uh, <laughs> as the boy threw out his arms in a for- forsaken Christ-like appeal and we zoomed away. Well, read into that what you will, <laughs> right? Read into that what you will, but it does sound a bit familiar, doesn't it? It, just, it sounds a little bit like what me and my mates were getting up to. Um, whatever he did see that night, Morrissey and his friends, it obviously made an impact on him because he's still talking about it all these years later. And bearing in mind, too, at that point, Morrissey was following James to a lot of gigs. He was really close to the band. And Morrissey, if you're listening, man, if you're ever listening to this, and if it was me and my mates that did that bad thing to you, what are the chances of that? Amazing. <laughs> amazing. Absolutely amazing. Sometime in 2010, I reckon it was, the manager of a local Infinity showroom got in touch with me, invited me in for a brew. And I thought, do I like the sound of this? Because Infinity is like, it's a division of Nissan, isn't it? Which manufactures like really upmarket, stylish, fast sports cars. And I think at the time, Infinity's strapline was the most powerful cars in the world. So I thought, I like the sound of this. So I went in, I had a brew, I had a look at these amazing cars, which there's no way I could afford to buy them. And this bloke says to me, how do you fancy borrowing the, the Red Bull Infinity for a while? And I said, yeah, that sounds, that's good, yeah, what is it, where is it? And he said, I'm just thinking free transport, you know what I mean? I wasn't thinking this, I was thinking free fucking car again here. Around that time, 2010, 2011, the, the car manufacturers, Infinity, became the sponsors of the Red Bull Formula One racing team. And they had one of the top-of-the-range Infinity QX cars, it's a monster of a machine, and they got it wrapped in Red Bull liveries, big Red Bull advertising all over it. And they'd send it off to events all over the country, you know, race meetings and that, across Europe as well. It was a very popular car. You'd see it on TV quite a lot, you know, running around the track before the race started and all, all that. And people would line up to get the pictures taken next to it in the, the backstage paddocks or whatever. Or occasionally, if they were lucky, they'd get driven around a, a race track in it. Ticked a lot of boxes for a lot of people, that car. You know, Infinity, extremely prestigious brand, Red Bull and the world of Formula One, very glamorous more, you know what I mean? And there's this bloke asking if I want to borrow it for a while. You know what I mean? Well, it's not on on tour or whatever. And I'm thinking, yeah, yeah, I'll have it. Yeah, Saab's being a dick again. I'll, I'll be able to get that scene too while it's off the road and cruise about in this thing. So I said, yeah, get it to me. I'll have it. So he said, right, come back on Thursday. I'll have it ready for you. And he got it delivered to the, the showroom in Stockport, right next to the M60, Junction 27, only a few hundred yards from where I'm sitting. That was an Infinity showroom over there. And I went down there and signed some papers. He threw the keys at me and he says, there you go, try not to crash it. It's the only one in the world. So I drove it home carefully, trying not to hit anything. I mean, it's, this was a beast. It's like, it's not as big, it's really high up as well. It's not much smaller than a, a transit van, this thing. And the Infinity's engine, get this right, Five litre V8. Five litre V8. What a monster. 
The petrol heads amongst you will know that that is a really fucking powerful motor, that right? It's the kind of car that, you know those ecology green groups that do protests about big engines and that because they do 20 gallons to a mile or whatever? Ozone damager. It's one of them. It might as well have had a, a big sticker on its boot saying, this machine fucks ozones up the arse. You know what I mean? It was like, it, it, it probably, you know, I, I, I should have done research on this. It might be a really... <laughs> environmentally friendly car but I suspect not anyway so I said to Charlie and kids come on we've got the car out here the Red Bull thing let's go for a spin let's go around the M60 Charlie comes out like fucking hell what is that and I'm like it's the Red Bull artwork it's Formula 1 and all that but we've got it for you know for a time and that. so let's go around the M60 so we get some all in little Hector was only three or four at the time he sat in the back next to Charlie Baby Cassius was, he was a fresh and, you know, he was sat there in his baby seat and Oscar wanted to go in the front, so I put his child seat in the front. I've probably just admitted to breaking another law there, haven't I? But, you know what, this shit has won me a bronze already, so I'm just going to keep it going. So I put all these baby seats in, strapped Hector and Oscar in position, rest of the boons in the back or whatever, and off we go. Thinking back now, it must have looked like a really weird TV advert, that, you know what I mean? Like, the Infinity QX, 5 litre V8... The ultimate family runabout. The ultimate family runabout. Anyway, so we set us off down our street <laughs> through Portwood, round the roundabout, and onto this this slip road that takes you up to the M60. So we're going anti-clockwise here, heading around towards Ashton and all of them. And it's a long slip road. It's more of a link road, actually. We had the sunroof down, all the windows open, and I opened it up. Fuck me. To this day, right, I've never felt speed like that in a motor car. The engine... The engine sounded like a really pissed off lion. The wind was howling past like thunder. Little Hector's in back, he started crying. Cash shat his nappy. Charlie's shouting at me, calling me a cock for making the babies cry. I'm going to hit the brakes at the roundabout. The inertia, the inertia, fucking hell, it's beautiful. <laughs> Funny thing is, though, even though that, that night didn't go to plan because I upset everybody. Charlie fell in love with that car, the Red Bull Infinity, and she started doing the school running it, right? <laughs> and that raised a few eyebrows. It's a really nice school. A lot of kids there from well-off families and that went there. And, you know, there's always a, a, a big line of nice cars outside. You have your Lexuses and your Mercs and your BMWs, the occasional Bentley. Really nice cars, nice people as well. But all these nice cars. And usually it'd be my dirty, scruffy, but much-loved Saab or that funky little Mini that I'd had. Me and one of the other dads... It was called Audi, Tristan's dad. We bonded really well on this school when we were for kids on because he had a shit Saab as well. And we were there comparing, you know, knackered Saabs, me and Audi. And our kids became great friends as well. But then one day, Charlie turns up in this 60,000 quid, only one in the world, Formula One Red Bull thing at the school gates. Like some out of a film. I got scared of driving it, me. I got scared of driving it. Partly when I realised that the excess on the insurance was a couple of grand, like if we scratched it, the first two grand we had to pay for or whatever. But also, we're only getting like 11 miles to gallon out of it, something like that. So, I mean, I mean I'm not criticising its economy, like I said, but with a car like that, you just you find yourself just revving it for sake of it, don't you? You know, towing it up the motor and all that. I became that typical boy racer dickhead that you see at the traffic lights, you know, with this stupid little hatchback with its stupid little engine and fat, stupid fucking exhaust pipe on the back. <laughs> now I was just like him, but with a proper racing car. And you'd have these Herberts beside you, you know, traffic lights and that. And I'd be like that. He'd be there, revving. <laughs> and I'd be like, yeah, watch this. Green light, yeah. See you later, penis breath. <laughs> Off.
A few days ago, I inadvertently played a record on one of my radio shows which contained some dubious lyrics. There was two instances of the word shit and one masturbation in the song. I won't tell you what the song was or what station it was that I played it on because it, it might cause you know delayed repercussions. Anyway, it's something you've got to be very aware of, isn't it? As a radio presenter, you've got to be very careful what you say and you've got to make sure that when you're playing records, you play the radio edit of any track that might have dodgy lyrics, right? I remember several radio presenters who came unstuck by playing a Clint Boone Experience track called Cool Vacation back in the late 90s. It starts off sounding really quirky and poppy and upbeat, and then it has this this lyric, when you feel you could kill the fucking radio show. And a few presenters back then got in touch with me complaining that I'd not done a, a radio edit. Sorry, guys, it won't happen again. Anyway, so this week... I got away with the two shits and a masturbation thing. It's, it actually sounds like a great start to the day, doesn't it? But anyway, it, but it reminded me. <laughs> it reminded me of a, a couple of other moments where I said or I did the wrong thing on the radio, right? On uh, When I used to present Music Response, it was a show that I did for XFM Manchester back in 2006, 2007, round about there, Monday to Thursday, 7 till 10 in the evening. And there was a point at 10pm at night where I had to um, hand back control or hand over, as they call it, back to the studios in London where John Kennedy would be waiting to do his uh, exposure programme, his legendary exposure programme. He's still doing it now on Radio X. And I was broadcasting from our studios in Manchester. And this switchover, it'd usually be seamless and the listener would be oblivious of the fact that the presenter that you've just been listening to and the one you're listening to now, you know, a matter of seconds later, actually sat 240 miles apart. The listeners won't have a clue. It sounded like me and John were in the same room, you know what I mean? In technology, a brilliant thing. It is a brilliant thing until it goes wrong, or should I say until the person pressing the buttons messes up in Manchester on this occasion. Me, that's right. So I just finished this show. I just finished this award-worthy show. <laughs> I did actually get nominated for two Sony Awards in 2006, you know. I've probably never told you that. It was my first year of proper radio, and I got nominated for... I think it was Radio Personality of the Year and Best Specialist Music Show, if I remember correctly. I didn't win either of them, but, it, you know, it's the taking part that counts. And I, I got to treat myself to a really nice Vivian Westwood suit as well, so I could wear it to the award ceremony, you know, in case I won and all that. Anyway, so this this switchover comes, 10 o'clock. I think it was a Pixies record that I'd just played. That ends, fades out, whatever tune it was. And I said, right, thanks for listening tonight. I'm back tomorrow at the same time on XFM. Right now it's 10 o'clock, it's time for John Kennedy. And then usually what happens is you get this big John Kennedy exposure on XFM. You know, really high production. And then after that, the lovely John Kennedy takes over and cracks on with three hours of the best cutting edge new music from all over the place. That's what he does. But because I'd forgotten to press a crucial button, what you got was something like this. Thanks for listening tonight. I'll be back tomorrow at the same time. Right now it's 10 o'clock and it's time for John Kennedy. Followed by... Total silence, like seconds of it, ticking away, really long seconds. And then as I realise what I've done, and still with the mic open, I let out this almighty, fuck. <laughs> really clear, right down the mic, fuck. And then John Shaw kicks in, when I press the button, John Shaw kicks in, and there's the man himself, chatting away pleasantly, taking his listeners deeper underground, like only he can do. And I'm thinking, did I just do that? Did I just do that? Now, bearing in mind that that kind of mishap on the radio at that time pretty much carried an automatic fine of like 10 grand or something, courtesy of our friends at Ofcom. 
and rightfully so. I'm not. I'm not questioning in what they do. They're the governing body of British radio, pretty much. And if you upset them lads, you're out of a job. You know, your station could be taken off air like that. And I'd just shouted "fuck" really loudly down an open mic in the middle of this most exquisite bit of radio silence ever. And I totally shit my kicks. I thought, oh no. All radio stations record their output. So everything that gets broadcast, they record it, keep it in uh, archives for reference. And part of the reason is so they can check how the uh, presenters have been sounding and help them to sound better. And it's also in case they get any complaints so that they can go back and listen to what's been said and who said it and what they need to do about it. So I'm still in the studio. It's five past ten now that night. And I went into our computer system to have a listen to what I'd just done and see if you could hear anything. And I was hoping that my swearing wasn't audible, that I just sounded louder, that it had just sounded louder because I've got headphones on or whatever. Maybe I'd said it under my breath, or maybe I'd just completely imagined it. So I found the clip, 9.59pm, played it back, and there it was. The loudest fuck I've ever heard on British radio. No doubt about it, you could hear it. Fortunately, no one complained about it, but by 10 past 10, I, was getting, I could see these texts coming through. Now, this was before Twitter, so it was all text. Clint, did you just drop the F-bomb? <laughs> Boone, did you just fuck up? And I'm like, ah, oh, no, typing back, no, it, it must have been John Kennedy. It wasn't me. <laughs> Check this out, it's the best one ever. The best thing I've ever done wrong on the radio. This is um, like something out of a, an episode about Alan Partridge, this. Christmas 2005, I was working on a radio station, Oldham 96.2, The Revolution. They're still going, still doing great work. And this is just before I moved over to XFM. And I pre-recorded a show that was going to go out on, on Christmas morning, you know, like Christmas morning with Boom, whatever, something like that. And I was to record all the chit-chat and then my, my producer, Paul, was going to edit it all together, put the music in place, assemble the show, and then it'd be broadcast on Christmas Day automatically, all computerised, probably with no one even in the building. And I recorded all these bits a couple of weeks before Christmas and left everything with Paul, went away, got on with my busy life, right? Now, during the recording of that show, to make it sound live, I did this bit where I phoned my wife, Charlie, to say something like, hi, darling, home soon for Christmas dinner, say hello to the listeners, etc., which she did. Um, and then when I left all this with producer Paul, I forgot to tell him that just about that section, there's a, there's a chunk that needed taking out, right? Basically, to record the phone call with Charlie, I'd phoned her up through the studio desk, which meant that I was talking to her down the radio mic, you know, the, the studio mic, still had my headphones on, hands-free, i.e. not having to hold the phone against me head. So I called her up and recorded the bit that was going to be broadcasting. Like, home soon, darling, happy Christmas and all that. But then I started getting a bit inappropriate, if you like, a bit suggestive on the phone, a bit frisky, right? So anyway, it's Christmas morning, right, 2005, and I'm at home in Stockport with Charlie and baby Oscar and Romeo and Hotel Foxtrot. <laughs> anyway, so this was me and Charlie and baby Oscar. We're opening presents, getting right into the Christmas spirit. And I'm thinking to myself, oh, I recorded a show, didn't I, a few weeks ago for Christmas morning. I'll put the rev on and have a listen to that show that I did. My, you know, my, my Christmas morning special, Christmas morning with the boon. There was loads of people in Oldham looking forward to it. And as I put the radio on, all sounding good. 
sounding really live. And then it comes to the bit where I phoned Charlie up. And I'm thinking, I hope he tidied this bit up. And so the conversation, it goes something like this, right? Hiya, darling. Happy Christmas. I'm home soon for Christmas dinner. Just got this live radio show to do. Say hello to listeners. And she's like, hello, listeners. Uh, come on, come on home, Clint. Dinner's nearly ready. Love you. At which point it should have cut to music. But what happened next was a conversation carried on along the lines of, right, yeah, darling, I should be home soon. I'll get this bollocks out of the way and I'll be out. I've had enough of this now, which is bad enough anyway, isn't it? But then I go, hey, you know what? I've got my hands free here because I'm listening to you on the headphones and I'm talking into the studio mic. I've got my hands free. And then I said, like, probably one of the best lines ever spoken into a British radio mic by a presenter on Christmas morning. <laughs> I said, hey, listen, we could have phone sex now. We could have, we could have like, good phone sex. I've got my hands free. I've got my feet up. On desk. I said that honestly, like an absolute unprofessional tool. There's a saying in the radio world, isn't there? There's a saying, every mic is a live mic. Meaning, just assume that every microphone in the in the room, in the studio, is live. That way, you, you get into the habit of not saying anything dodgy when you're in that room. And it cuts down the chances, doesn't it, of you, the presenter, getting sacked and the radio station getting fined or being closed down, right? Luckily for me, and everybody listening to that show on the Revolution on Christmas morning 2005, the conversation between me and Charlie ended with her saying, stop being a knob, see you in a bit, and she hung up. If she hadn't have cut short that conversation, it would probably have gone down in history as the greatest radio fail of all time. There's a website, isn't there, dedicated to stuff like that. If you do a Google on radio fail, you'll hear it. It is brilliant. There's a couple of little examples I'm going to play to you of what goes on in a radio studio. Even while a show is going out live, sometimes the presenter and the producer need to pre-record all the bits that are sometimes going to go out later in that show, or the next day's show, whatever. And as a presenter, you've sometimes got to split your brain in half. Part of you is live, and part of you is recording stuff for the future. It's quite a skill. It's quite a skill. Here's a little example, right? The kind of chaos that that can cause when you're doing that splitting your head in two thing. This is me and producer Sam, <laughs> Sam Davis, in a complete mess, trying to record some radio bits for XFM, just as we're about to go live on XFM. This is a few years ago. Now, only the most obsessive radio geeks amongst you, and I'm sure there will be some, only the most obsessive radio geeks amongst you will figure out what we are trying to do here. Because I've listened to it a few times, and I don't know what the fuck we're trying to do. But just have a listen to this. We're going to play some new music now. This is Vampire Weekend, and it's... Shut your curtains, will you? Vampire Weekend. For our winter wonderland party in Manchester for to win. Yeah. The next artist you're listening to is Codeline. Why the countdown ads? When you hear something from Codeline, get in touch with oh, him. But he'll tell you what to do right. in just a moment. <laughs> Meanwhile, I'll see you tomorrow at 1. We'll tell you in a minute. There. Right. Do you want me to do this in the end now yeah. before I switch in? Yeah. Fucking arse went then. Make sure you take that out. Right. There you go. Okay. Unfortunately, that bit where I said the F word didn't go out. Here's another. This is me and Sam trying to record just one line to insert into the legendary Road Rage Remedy feature that I used to do. One, one sentence I needed to do. I fancy a bit of that cake. After I might nip down and uh, get my nose in a bit of that um, a nice, <laughs> a nice vanilla slice. <laughs> I'm down there. I'll tell you what, Sam. I'm down there after show me for some cake. <laughs> 
tell you what, that's got me right in the mood for a bit of cake. That's so seven o'clock, Sam. I'm down there, me. I'm going to get, help myself to a nice. <laughs> I'm going to help myself to. <laughs> I'll tell you what, that's got me right in the mood for a bit of cake. Seven o'clock, Sam. Seven o'clock, I'm down there, me. I'm going to help myself to a nice vanilla slice. Got there eventually. Got there eventually. And knowing now that stuff like that's often going on, while you were listening to the latest single from Biffy Clyro or, or whoever, knowing that that's going on, you know, off, uh, that'll help you explain why occasionally you'll hear the likes of myself delivering the traffic news just a few seconds later in the following manner. 26 minutes past four, time to... <laughs> Sorry. Okay, it's traffic news time. It's uh, southbound on the M6. Uh, there's a broken down vehicle uh, between the two, so I'll have to come back to this. Drive time with Clint Boone. On XFM. There you go. Anyway, I've pretty much got the angle that every mic is a live mic thing now. But it just goes to show, doesn't it? Even a broadcaster with my many years, 22 years of experience and knowledge and professionalism, can still find himself sharing two shits and a masturbation with his listeners in 2016. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. And the radio is in the hands of such a lot of fools trying to anesthetize the way that you feel. Radio is a sound salvation. Radio is cleaning up the nation. So you better listen to the vice of reason. But they don't give you any choice because they think that it's treason. So you had better do what you were told. I'm going to cut short this uh, episode of the podcast uh, because I've just heard of the death of a friend of mine literally while I've been making this. Um, somebody that I talked about in the last episode and his name was Carl Stevenson. He was the man that helped me to create the Boone Army Mini that I told you about. And he was also the man that made every Boone Army banner that you've ever seen and every In Spiral Carpets backdrop that you've ever seen. Carl sadly passed away uh, yesterday and I've just found out so I'm going to... Um, cut this thing short and get it out to you. He was a lovely man, somebody that I will always have pleasant and positive memories of. And I won't go into details of his death uh, right now, but it's just uh, a complete tragedy. So all my love and thoughts to Carl Stevenson's family and friends. Thanks again for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the podcast and uh, do subscribe if you're not already done so on iTunes. And once again, thank you to my friends over at Distorted Productions for helping me to uh, make this thing happen. Uh, I will leave you with the unsigned band that I talked about at the beginning of the episode, a band called Drone from Liverpool. Drone is D-R-O-H-N-E. The track you're going to hear features Nadine Karina. Basically, Drone are a two-piece uh, outfit from Liverpool, Richard and Luke. They've done some uh, gigs recently at Liverpool Music Week and Festival Number no. 6. The track I'm going to leave you with is a track that Drone released a couple of months ago. It's called ICU, as in the letters ICU. If you want to check out Drone online, first of all, the name Drone is spelled D-R-O-H-N-E. So on Twitter, it's at D underscore R underscore O underscore etc. Uh, SoundCloud is uh, D dash R dash O dash h etc and on facebook uh, drone dot music uh, do check them out the music is gorgeous and the track i'm going to leave you with right now is i see you this is drone featuring nadine karina 
I'll speak to you soon. Lots of love to you. Story time with Boone. Subscribe now on iTunes.